We are in Job chapter 20. I am going to do two chapters tonight, God willing. Two chapters is a bit short, but four chapters is too long. So if you've got questions and stuff, I'm happy to entertain that. I don't know that this two chapters will take that long, but we'll see. So chapter 20. Then Zophar, the Naamathite, answered and said, Therefore my thoughts answer me because of my haste within me. I hear censure that insults me, and out of my understanding a spirit answers me. You've all now been here through 19 chapters of Job, so you get the way the drill goes. His friends say something to the effect that for some reason all of this is his own fault, and Job snaps back at them. And in Zophar's case, he's feeling ill-used, because I'm sure Zophar was of the opinion that what he was saying was intended to help. And for Job to get angry about it seems to Zophar to be unwarranted. So Zophar at this point is snapping back at Job. Verse 4. Do you not know this from of old, since man was placed on earth, that the exalting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment? So we're going to go off on a riff here on wickedness and godlessness. And of course, we know that Job is neither one of those things. Job is in fact a devout man, and God refers to him as his own servant. Remember back in chapter 1 when he was talking to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So clearly Job has got a relationship with God, so the accusation that he is godless has no basis. And certainly he is not a wicked man. What Zophar is going to do, just like they have before, is he's going to spout proverbs at him. And take a second. I've talked a lot of times in the past about the difference between the Greek way of encoding knowledge and the Hebrew way of encoding knowledge, and the Greek way of writing and the Hebrew way of writing. One of the things that happens, and I've known this about the Old Testament for a long time, but my lightning fast mind didn't quite make the connection with the New Testament. These are not intended to be precise logical statements as you were doing an engineering problem. You know, if A, then B, then C must follow. These are not that kind of thing. These are general wisdom. So the idea that generally the wicked don't prosper. Now what Job is going to come back with is, I've seen wicked prosper. And that's true, sometimes they do. But that's not the way to bet. So these are statements of wisdom they are not statements of engineering precision, to use the term. And it finally occurred to me, Yeshua speaks in this same kind of style. He's from that culture. And one of the things that I have always found not useful is Christians who take the words of Yeshua and try and apply them in an argument as if they were written in Greek. Well, they are written in Greek because the New Testament's written in Greek, but you understand what I'm saying. So Yeshua himself speaks the same way as the Tanakh speaks. And to take either Yeshua or Paul and try and form syllogistic reasoning 
with their words is a fundamental error. Since most of us have grown up in a Greek culture, Greek, Roman, American, I mean, it's basically all an engineering culture or scientific culture, however you want to describe it. And such a culture is very powerful because it makes lots of really good stuff that works. As I've said before, if you want to send a man to the moon, Greek's your language because it's designed to deal with the natural world and designed to deal with engineering and designed to deal with science. So it's very good at that. And that's how we've all been educated. So we take the words of Yeshua or the words of Paul and we overlay that understanding on top of them and it leads us into places that are not sound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have had Christians just argue up and down that all means all, that's all all means. You heard that phrase, right? And so that means I can do everything through Christ if my faith is strong enough. Well, that's not what it's saying. It's a proverb in the same spirit as the Proverbs back here in the Old Testament, and they are intended to be guidelines for life and a basis for thought and understanding. They are not intended to be applied formulaically. So if somebody decides, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and he can't do something, what's his natural place to look for the problem? Lack of faith. Oh, there's something wrong with my faith. Boy, if my faith were just stronger, I'd be able to do this. And just something wrong with me, and I'm just not worthy. That's not sound. Because what it's saying is, God is with you, God is on your side, God will give you strength, and all those kinds of things. But it's not syllogistic like Greek would be. If you were to say it from a Greek perspective, I can do everything. Cool. Go off and do everything. Well, you're not designed to do everything. You're designed to do whatever God's called you to do. And he will strengthen you and give you help as you do that. But if you're designed to be a musician like Ray is, or I'm not, it doesn't do me any good to walk up to the stage and pick up a guitar. All I can make is noise. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me isn't going to compensate for the fact that I'm not a musician. So as you talk with your Christian Sunday brethren, and I'm not really throwing rocks at them because, as I say, that's all how we all grew up. That was our education. That's the world we swim in. And so we bring that then to the scriptures when it's not appropriate. All right, onward. Verse 6. Though his height mount up to the heavens and his head reach to the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? So he, in this case, is the wicked one. And you can tell that this conversation is getting kind of snappish because Zophar is chap that Job is not taking their advice and is snapping back at them. So he will perish forever like his own dung. I mean, that's, I cannot believe that that's a polite way to talk to somebody. This is kind of a chippy conversation. Verse 8, he will fly away like a dream and not be found. He will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place any more behold him. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, 
but it will lie down with him in the dust. All right, back up a second. His children will seek the favor of the poor. What that is saying is a calamity will come upon him such that he will not even be able to support his children and his children will fall so low that the poor will be the only ones that they can turn to for help. Sort of like the old saying, you ever had a poor man give you a job? Well, not typically. So the idea that he's seeking the favor of the poor is an indication of how far his children have fallen. And Job's children are flat dead. So this is all in the context of what's happened to Job. And his bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust, it being his youthful vigor. So he's fat and healthy and so forth, but that's going to go down with him to the dust as well. And not, by the way, in ripe old age. The idea here is it's going to be while he is still a young man. Now, starting in verse 12, he's using a metaphor of food for evil. So, though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he is loath to let it go and holds it in his mouth, yet his food is turned in his stomach, it is the venom of cobras within him. So the idea here is, if you have something really sweet and savory, like a piece of hard candy or something like that, you sort of hold it in your mouth and you savor it and you suck on it for a while. And what he's saying here is this guy holds his evil deeds the same way you would hold a piece of hard candy in your mouth because it tastes so good. Okay? Um, yet, it will be turned to venom eventually. Verse 15, He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. So the idea is, the evil that he is doing, the, the ill-gotten gains that he's making through his evil deeds. The metaphor is, again, food, and what's going to happen to them is he's going to lose them. God's going to reclaim them, and the metaphor, again, is God's going to make him vomit them up. Verse 16, he will suck the poison of cobras. The tongue of a viper will kill him. He will not look upon the rivers, the streams flowing with honey and curds. And again, this is a metaphor. You all know that the way God describes the land is a land flowing with milk and honey. Obviously, it isn't literally flowing with milk and honey. It's just a rich place that everything sustains. So he looks upon the rivers, and the rivers then are parenthetically rivers of milk and honey. He will give back the fruit of his toil and will not swallow it down. For the profit of his trading, he will get no enjoyment. The idea here is he is not trading honestly, and because he isn't trading honestly, he will get no gain from it. Verse 19, For he has crushed and abandoned the poor, he has seized a house that he did not build. All of this is by way of the wickedness that this guy is doing, and because of this wickedness he will not prosper. And of course you've all been here long enough to know that God's poster children for the hopeless are the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. Those are people who have no one to defend them. So when Israel or anybody oppresses somebody in those classes of people, God takes up their cause. And by the way, 
That's all over Proverbs. So, for example, money given to the poor is lent to God. He will repay. That's a proverb. So the idea is that God watches the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. And if you treat these people shabbily, you not only have them to deal with, who you think are powerless, you also have God then to deal with in the background because God is their ultimate protector. And this is not being said explicitly here, but it's all over the Tanakh, all over the New Testament too. So the reason that this guy is going to get no profit is because the evil stuff that he has done is crushing and abandoning the poor, and he is seizing a house that he did not build, which is to say he is taking somebody's house away from them unjustly. 20. Because he knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. The idea here is that the wicked are never satisfied. The only thing they see in life is what they don't have. They don't see what they do have. And so they're not satisfied with the things that they do have. They know no contentment in their belly. And because they don't know any contentment in their belly, which is to say they're greedy and they're not satisfied with what they have, and indeed they cannot be satisfied with what they have. In other words, it's a character flaw. Because of that, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. So everything he sees that he wants, he grabs because he has this character flaw which does not allow him to be content with what he has. That's the thing that makes him reach out and grab stuff that doesn't belong to him. In this case, the stuff of the poor and the house that he didn't build. 21. There was nothing left after he had eaten. Therefore, his prosperity will not endure. You've all been through the Torah. What does the Torah say about for example, reaping your fields. You leave the corners and you leave any sheaves you forget, you leave behind. So you leave some in your field for the poor to come and glean. You don't go through your olive orchard and beat your trees a second time. You don't go through your vineyard a second time and get every last grape. You go through it once, get your harvest, and then you move on and there's expected to be something left for the poor to come in after you. And what this says is there's nothing left after he's eaten. He doesn't leave anything. He eats it all. So this is an expression of greed, etc. 22. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. The hand of everyone in misery will come against him. So as he has eaten everything that he can get his hands on and left nothing for the poor, what that means is people who should be able to subsist on the surplus that he has left behind are themselves now suffering, obviously being metaphorical here, because he didn't leave the corners of his fields, he didn't leave anything for anybody to glean, the people who would have depended on the gleanings of his field are themselves now suffering, and so they're going to come against him. So 22 again, in the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. The hand of everyone in misery will come against him. Well, the reason they're in misery is because he has licked up every last grain of wheat out of his field and has left nothing behind for the poor. Verse 23. To fill his belly to the full, God will send his burning anger against him and rain it upon him into his body. Remember the thing started with, this guy is all appetite. 
anything that he sees, that he wants, he wants, he, has, he is never satisfied. His belly can never be full. So what God is saying is, fine, you can't be full, I'll fill you up. And what God fills him up with is wrath. Verse 24, he will flee from an iron weapon, a bronze arrow will strike him through. It is drawn forth and comes out of his body. The glittering point comes out of his gallbladder. Terrors come upon him. This wicked guy who is greedy and grasping and not leaving anything for anybody else is going to fall into the hands of God. Remember I said that you have these four poster children for the helpless, and God becomes their defender. So what this is is God now becoming the defender of those this guy has oppressed or Job is oppressed. 26. Utter darkness is laid up for his treasures. A fire not fanned will devour him. What is left in his tent will be consumed. I'm not sure what that metaphor is. I will take a stab at it, but understand I may very well be wrong. A fire not fanned will devour him. What I think that means is a fire not of human origin. In other words, a fire from God. Because if somebody were doing arson or starting a fire, you would fan it and blow on it to get it to go and so forth. This is a fire that nobody has fanned. So I am assuming that we're talking then about fire from God. But that could be wrong because I don't recognize the metaphor. 27. The heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. I call heaven and earth as witness against you. You all remember that from the Torah. The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. This is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. So all of this could be transferred bodily to Proverbs and children would be told to study. There's lots and lots of good advice in there. But as I said earlier, the way a Greek thinker would read this is, you did X, Y, and Z, therefore God is going to do A, B, and C. And if God has done A, B, and C, that must mean that you did X, Y, and Z. That's a Greek way of thinking, and that's the thinking that these guys are applying to Job, and of course it doesn't apply, which is why I said a while back, this is wisdom, not syllogistic. So the fact that A, B, and C is happening to you does not necessarily mean that you did X, Y, and Z. Although if you read Proverbs or Yeshua or Paul in a literal, logical way, you would come to that conclusion, which I don't believe is sound. Job replies, Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words, and let this be your comfort. Bear with me, and I will speak. And after you have spoken, mock on. So you guys are mocking me, and I'm going to respond to you, and after I'm done, you just keep mocking away because I'm not paying any attention to you. Verse 4, as for me, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled, and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed, and shuddering seizes my flesh. First off, I'm not complaining against people, I'm complaining against God, and in all fairness, Zophar invoked God. And what he's saying is, look at me and be horrified. So verse 7, 
Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail, their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre, and rejoice in the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down to shale. They say to God, Depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. So what Zophar said is, A, B, and C is happening to you, therefore you must have done X, Y, and Z, because this is generally true of God. And by the way, the thing about logic is a single contrary example disproves a proposition. So in the Greek logical system, if you say, all people who have long hair are women, you have long hair, therefore you must be a woman. Well, that is a logical construct. The problem is, the beginning part of it is not true. The part that says all people with long hair are women is not in fact true. If it were true, then the logic would flow. But as soon as I find somebody with long hair who is not a woman, I have disproved my syllogism. And what Job is doing here is saying, you are treating God as if he were Socrates writing Greek logic. I am now going to give you a counterexample that disproves your proposition. So what Job says is, uh, guys, we all know wicked people who are just fine. We know people who say to God, I'm not interested in following you. And they send out their children like a flock, which is to say they have lots of children. Their agriculture goes just fine. Their cows don't miscarry. Everything is fine. We all know people like that. And they go down to their grave, fat and happy. And what I have just done is I have disproved your syllogism. And at the end of it, verse 16, Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Which is to say, I am not one of those people. I am not a wicked man. So verse 17, How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in their anger. How often have you seen the wrath of God land on the wicked like you just described? Verse 18, that they are like the straw before the wind and like chaff that the storm carries away. Have you ever seen them driven like chaff before the wind? No, they seem pretty substantial and solid. 19, you say, God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let him pay it out to them, that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction, and let them drink the wrath of the Almighty. So what he's saying is, well, they may get away with it, but it's going to come down on their children. So the wicked person may go through life and may die fat and happy and all that kind of stuff, but his iniquity is out there somewhere, and it's going to land on his kids. That's the argument here, right? 21. For what do they care for their houses after them when the number of their months is cut off? 
So what Job is saying here is, what you say is, well, yeah, I see that some wicked people prosper, and I see that some wicked people live out their lives, and I see that they go down to their grave fat, dumb, and happy, and everything is fine with them. Yeah, I see that. But we know that it is going to rain down on their children. And what Job then says, what difference does that make to them? For two reasons. Reason number one is they are wicked. They are, in fact, by definition, self-centered. So what happens to people who come after them is of minimal interest to them. Thing two is they go down to Sheol, so if stuff happens to their children, they don't know it. So what kind of a punishment is that? 22. Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? In other words, I don't presume to teach God anything, and nor should you. One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his pails full of milk, and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted prosperity. They lie down alike in the dust, and the worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? Who's the prince? Job is the prince. So what he's saying is, you have come to me and you have said, where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? In other words, all my possessions have been destroyed. My house has been destroyed. The tent of the prince is gone. So you come up here and you say, where is the house of the prince? And according to your syllogistic way of looking at God, that must mean that God is punishing me for wickedness that I have done. So verse 28 again. For you say, where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? Have you not asked those who travel the roads? And do you not accept their testimony? That the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath. In other words, you're in another world, you've traveled, you all traveled a great distance to come see me. You talk to travelers on the way. Haven't you heard of cases where the wicked are saved and spared in calamity? I certainly have. 31. Who declares his way to his face, and who repays him for what he has done? What that's saying is, if you have a powerful, wicked man, who is going to have the courage to stand up to him and say, you are wicked? So who declares his way to his face, and who repays him for what he has done? Who is going to bring him to justice? When he is carried to the grave, watch is kept over his tomb, which is to say, he gets buried and they mount an honor guard over his tomb. It is not like he is thrown into a ditch and covered up. He is honored in his death. The clods of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. So what he's saying is, we all wind up in the dirt. That's what he said back up in 23. One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his pails full of milk and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity. 
They lie down alike in the dust, and the worms cover them. So what he's saying down here in verse 33 is the clods of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. So which is to say everybody winds up eventually in the dirt, and we have all seen wicked men who went there at the height of their prosperity with everything that the world seems to offer at their fingertips, and they die just like everybody else, and we pave them over with asphalt, and they're done, just like anybody else. So what he's saying is, I don't see this recompense that you are saying God always has for the wicked. It does not always happen. 34. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. So what he's done is he has refuted Zophar's argument, and he's saying, you got nothing. And what you've given me is no comfort, and it isn't even useful. Now, we've said this before. These guys at least start out trying to help. And what they're saying is, wow, you're really having a bad time. You better check your status with God because, my experience, God doesn't do this to the righteous. And so they're trying to help. And what Job is saying is, the aphorisms that you are trying to apply to me don't apply. You're taking generalities out of Proverbs and you're applying them to my case without understanding my case. And your analysis is incorrect and it is of no value to me. It's not even comforting. Not only is it not comforting, it's wrong. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.